Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Brian Condello. Good morning. Good to see you guys here. If it is your first time here at Salem Alliance, even if it's just for the air conditioning, <laughs> welcome. We're so glad you're here. If this is your church home, thank you for continuing to be faithful to this place. If you're a part of a house church, if you're watching from a house church and coming here is not a part of your regular rhythm, I just want to invite you into this space. There's something great about when all of the mobile temples gather in the sanctuary. So I would love to have that become a part of your rhythm and trust that God is doing something even this morning as we had that time of worship and trusting that you will um, not fall asleep during the time of the message. We'll see how that goes. But thanks so much for being here. Um, I'm not that strong of a swimmer. I never have been. I sink rather than float. I spend more time on the bottom than the surface. And I never really pursued it much. I never really kind of jumped in and learned. I had some frightening experiences as a child in the pool. I can remember being on a large raft with one of my brothers in the deep end and somehow ending up in the water. And uh, I'm not saying that he pushed me, but I am saying that I have this very vivid picture of sinking and looking at him and holding my breath and frantically moving my arms and kicking my legs, but I'm going down and down and down. And I get to the bottom and I, I push up off enough to grab a hold of it and <gasps> coming out of the water. And another time, I jumped into what I thought was the shallow end and it was the deep end. And that same experience, this very vivid picture of me going under. Now, what this did was, and I think what this would do for most people, actually, uh, was they would learn how to swim better. What this did for me was it just kept me out of the deep end. I decided that I'm only going to go places where my feet can touch the bottom. That's it. Until I discovered that there were, there were aids for this. There were things that could help me. And you kind of know what some of those are. Um, Let's see here. Let me get all these out here so we know. This stuff, right? And the first thing that I, that I learned about was the water wings. You know, you get these water wings and you put these on and you're like, oh, I've got a whole new freedom. I've got a whole new confidence. And then this was, this was a picture of me too in the pool as a child. This was me paddling into the deep end. And then when you finally get to the point where you're like, oh, this, this is beautiful. This is a whole new level of freedom right here. I can go all different places. And so now I love to be in the water. I don't wear the water wings anymore. Not all the time. Anyway, I actually asked, I asked if I could preach from the baptismal, but they wouldn't let me open it up. But I love the water. I love going whitewater rafting. I, I love being out on Lake Shasta because, because I have a life jacket. And life jackets are amazing. They can support between 16 and 22 pounds in the water, which doesn't seem like a lot until we remember our Archimedes, which I'm sure you all do. As you study that in the law of buoyancy, which, you know, a 200-pound person on land weighs about 10 pounds in the water, and so a life jacket can more than support them. And so when I go down to Shasta with students, I love to go tubing, and I love to go wakeboarding, and I love to get thrown off, and the wake washes over you, and students are constantly pushing you under the water because they think that's funny. But I always pop back up. Because I have a life jacket on means that I am buoyant. I have buoyancy. 
And so the question I want to ask is, how do we live all of our lives with the same level of buoyancy? How do we live all of our lives with that same level of confidence when wave after wave after wave after wave, I'm talking to you, 2020, after wave washes over us, when you're getting tossed back and forth, when your feet can't touch the bottom and you feel like you're just out in the middle of nowhere and you feel like maybe you're going under, how do you continue to pop up? How do we have buoyancy? And I think the key to this, I'm not going to preach in this, by the way, I think the key to this buoyancy is joy. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Our big idea this morning is living joyfully creates buoyancy. Living joyfully gives us buoyancy. Now, we're continuing on in our series called Deep, and what does it mean to be a deep Christian? And usually we think that means gaining more knowledge. And knowledge is great, and we should grow in knowledge. We're going to talk about that this morning. But really, it means more of being conformed to the character of Christ, both inward and outward. So we've talked about deep humility. We've talked about deep suffering. Last week, Jennifer did a great job talking about deep unity, this idea that through humility, gentleness, patience, and love, we're fiercely pursuing unity. And this week, we're going to talk about deep joy. Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record. And for those of you younger in the room, a record is like a, a disc. And we'll talk about that later. But it's been a tough season. It's been a season of loss. We've lost opportunities. Maybe you've lost vacation. Maybe you lost retirement savings. Maybe you lost relationships. Maybe this has been a season of loneliness, and it seems like everybody else has someone that they're with, or everybody else is having way more fun than I am. And that always seems to be the case, because we always compare our B-roll footage to everybody else's highlight reel. And so we're always kind of falling short of that. And, and the phrase, living joyfully, wouldn't be something that you would necessarily apply to your life. And, and maybe we even wonder, as we think about joy, is it even possible is it possible to have a joy that is so genuine, that is so intense, that sorrow and pain and suffering can't sink it, that I can remain buoyant in this life? We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your phones, you can find the app and not the internet. Paul visited Philippi on his second missionary journey. We read about that in Acts 16, and he's writing to encourage the believers, and he is saying, be joyful. Joy is an undeniable theme of this letter, even as Paul writes from prison. He says, I want you to have the same joy that I have, not the same circumstances. He's not asking that they be in prison. He's saying, I want you to have the same joy that I have. And every chapter has this, this plea to be joyful. He's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a responsibility of yours to be joyful. Philippians 4, verse 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And as you see there, this is a command. It's written in the imperative. That's what the exclamation point means. And honestly, it feels a little odd to me. I've been wrestling with this concept of joy for a few weeks I've been going to all the places in Scripture that, that I'm familiar with that have the word joy in it, and we want to break some of those down later on. And I've been remembering all of the Sunday school songs that I learned growing up. 
Let's try this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? <laughs> I just told you, down in my heart. We still say where every time. But like, what does that even mean? And for those of you who didn't grow up in Sunday school, I'm sorry. But joy somehow seems different from the other responsibilities that we have as Christians. Let's talk about love for just a second. Love, we're told to love people, and we're told to do so more and more, and we're told to do so even when we don't feel like it because love isn't a feeling, it's actionable. We're not asked in Scripture to have the warm fuzzies for other people. We're asked to practically live out love, love and peace and kindness and so many of the other fruits that we read about in Scripture seem so action-oriented, so community-focused, so easy to just kind of get started with, but joy seems so inward and, and individualistic and tough to get a handle on. How am I supposed to do this? I have a lot of questions about joy. What is joy? Why are we so skeptical of joy? Is joy internal or is it active or is it both? Is joy just purely a gift or can I cultivate it or is it both? What does it look like in our everyday lives? How do I live out joy? How can I be one who's living joyfully so I can remain buoyant? Now, let's talk about what joy is, because joy and rejoice and grace, they all have the same root in the original language. They, they all have this intertwined nature to them. And joy is to experience and delight in God's grace. So as we have, as we have experienced the grace of God, as we continue to experience the grace of God, we rejoice. We have joy. Literally, it means to lean towards. It doesn't mean to lean to the left. It doesn't mean to lean to the right. It means to lean towards grace and truth and everything good that's to come. It's our hope. And then there's another definition of joy that really shaped me, and it's this. Joy is the buoyancy that results from enjoying the unchanging privileges of God. That, that joy is what helps us stay afloat. Joy is our life jacket so that when the waves come and wash over us, when our feet can't touch the bottom, we stay afloat. Joy is this buoyant hope we have as we lean towards the permanent, unchanging promises of God. Joy is knowing that we have joy in the Lord because He is permanent and unchanging. And so joy is it's less of a a feeling or an emotion, and it's more of a response. Joy is, is protest. Joy is resistance. It's resisting all the ways the enemy wants to sink us or to drown us in despair. Now, part of our problem is that we, all, we often get joy and happiness confused, Happiness is in a lot of ways counterfeit joy. Now, God has given us a lot of things to be happy about, and that's great, and we can be happy. It's not bad to be happy, but Paul did not quote Bobby McFerrin in Philippians chapter 4. He did not say, don't worry, be happy. He says, be joyful, and here's why. Because happiness is dependent upon our circumstances, and joy is not. Happiness is dependent upon our circumstances. Joy is independent of circumstances. And that means our happiness is only ever as stable as our circumstances, which means it's temporary and changing because that's what our circumstances do. There's a 
repetitive nature to happiness. We must experience or achieve something over and over and over again to hang on to happiness, whether it's food or physical pleasure or possessions or promotions. These things have in their nature more, more, crying out for more. When you have a kid and something makes them happy, they say one word, again, again. Here's a picture of me throwing my daughter up in the air because she loved that. She loved, again, it made her happy, again, again, until my arms fell off. You know, that's the first picture where she's high up. The last picture would have been she's barely off the ground. Again, again, again. You see, with happiness, these desires are never fully and finally satisfied. And when we get happiness and joy confused, we can get our theology confused as well. Because we hear that, well, being joyful, it's, it's a command for Christians. But when we think that that's happiness, then we think Christianity is there to make us happy. Or Christianity is there to provide the things that make us happy. And when we're not happy, and when we don't have the things that make us happy, when we face sorrow and grief, then we question faith, we question God, and we're left with these debilitating conclusions. Either God is not a good father, or we are failures. If I'm not happy, I must not be doing this Christianity thing right. And this can wreck us. Life has pain, sorrow, suffering, and happiness cannot coexist with these things. But joy can. Joy can. We see joy and sorrow hand in hand throughout Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Our hearts ache but we always have joy, sadness and joy, side by side. Their hearts are aching. They're always having joy. It says it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Steve preached out of Romans 5 a couple weeks ago. It says it a couple times in Romans 5. Joy and sorrow hand in hand. And you might know somebody like this, somebody that walks through deep things and is still joyful. And uh, sometimes, quite honestly, that's annoying. It might be annoying to us. And we might even think that it's, it's fake, that it's just, they're just putting it on. You ever go to Dutch Brothers? <laughs> and the barista or the broista leans out of the window and halfway into your car, and they're like, hey, how you doing? What's going on today? Got any plans for today? Can I borrow the car? What's your social security number? Can I borrow your credit card? You're like, whoa, it's too much. These are very buoyant people. It's overwhelming. Now, I know a lot of great people there, and I'm not saying they're all fake, but that's the kind of put on happy that we feel like that is. Oh, that's just not real. But that's not what this is talking about, because that's happiness. This is saying you can have deep joy side by side with sorrow. You can have both of those. James chapter 1 says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles come, this is an opportunity to be joyful. And I'm glad that James wrote that and not me, because quite honestly, it sounds super insensitive. You would not go up to someone that's walking through something deep and be like, hey, consider that joy. Right? You want to say to James, listen, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know my story. You don't know what I'm walking through. But James is saying, listen, we got to reframe our attitude towards these difficult things because they can be joyful. We need to rethink. We need to be thankful for these moments. And so we want to we jump into that. Living joyfully creates buoyancy. 
Always, it says, be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now, I want to pick up here in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 6. Now, there's so many great things, and you could preach so many different messages from this, but it starts with joy. And so joy is a theme of this passage. And I want to just pick up on two words that we're going to see here. The first we find in verse 6, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And the word I want to focus on is thankful. How do we cultivate joy? We are thankful. Verse 6, pray and tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Usually we're great at being thankful when things are going well or when we receive a positive response to a prayer request. But this is saying be thankful from the get-go no matter what. We need to be thankful people. Thankful that God has already done immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine. Thankful that God will give us what we need, that he will provide for us. Thankful for whatever answer it is we receive to that prayer. We've all prayed for something that we've desperately, desperately wanted. And we've all got an answer that we desperately did not want. And sometimes that's confusing to us. And sometimes with some time and space, right, we're thankful for the big fat no that God gave us. Maybe you remember when you were a teenager and you were dating someone and you were just convinced that that was the one. I'm in love. And you were like, oh, God, please let me spend the rest of my life with this person. And now looking back, you're like, oh, God, thank you for not making me spend the rest of my life with that person. Right? When my wife and I were in Atlanta, I was convinced it was God's will to send us to Pittsburgh, to this church there. It's my hometown. And I was just sure it was his will. So I was praying, OK, God, just accomplish your will. Send me to Pittsburgh. I'm ready. Let's go and find me a house and all that kind of stuff. But I just was convinced that that was the case. And I got a big no. And I'll be honest, I was not thankful. And I was not very buoyant. But I'm thankful now. I'm thankful as I look back and see what could have happened or would have happened and where God sent me instead. You see, God will always give us what we would have asked for had we known everything that he knows. That's how God is. Thankfulness cultivates joy. We see it in Scripture. Psychological research also validates this as well, whether you need that or not. You can go online and find a bunch of studies. I read one this past week from Harvard Medical School that that talked about giving thanks is this recognition of goodness and seeing that there is goodness in the world. Goodness exists, and it allows people to connect with things that are bigger than themselves, all good things. And then it goes on to say, thankfulness improves health. It strengthens relationships. It equips us to deal with adversity. This is all scientific research about being thankful. What they're saying is, man, it just, it's buoyancy. Thankfulness is buoyancy. Thankfulness cultivates joy, but we can get so focused on the absence that we miss the abundance. We get focused on the shadow. We miss the substance, and we're like, God, don't you see me? God, don't you hear me? We get so focused on the blessing that we miss the blesser. When the blessing doesn't come, when the blessing fades, we lose hope. And that's the thing. You see, the opposite of joy is not sorrow. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. The opposite of joy is having nothing to lean towards, nothing to rest in, nothing to hold you up and be buoyant when things get really rough. But we know as believers, we don't grieve as those 
who have no hope. We do have a permanent, unshakable hope. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. And thankfulness is a reminder of that hope. Hebrews chapter 12 says, since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful. Happiness is temporary because it's based on temporary things. Joy is permanent because it's based on unshakable things. And so to cultivate joy, we give thanks in every season. We give thanks in every season. We're good at giving thanks when it's good, but what about when it's bad? I was talking with a a good friend of mine this past week, and and he said, what good is buoyancy if you're not in the deep water? And I was like, oh, that's good. I'm going to use that. (laughs) What good is buoyancy if your feet can always touch the bottom? You see, when we really need thankfulness is when we're kind of out in the middle and the waves are going and our feet can't touch and we can't see the shore. That's when we have to lean in and be thankful for the deeper permanent things that we know are true. So we, we don't want to, you know, disregard the pain and suffering. We don't want to shove it to the side. We want to acknowledge it, but find ways to be thankful in it. Giving thanks cultivates joy. The second word I want to look at, we see in verse 8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We want to be thankful and we want to be thoughtful. Verse 8 gives us some things to be thoughtful about. And the first four words are true, honorable, right, and pure. Paul's talking about the deep truths of Scripture. He's talking about doctrine here. He's talking about God and Jesus and salvation and sanctification because this passage is telling us that to find joy and peace, we do need to understand and go to the depths and find out the implications of the things that we truly believe in. We want to be as thoughtful as possible. We want to be as aware as possible of our beliefs. Do we know our doctrine? Do we know our gospel? Because this is how we know that our future is secure. This is how we know that our foundation is sure. This is our buoyancy. We need to know these deep truths. Our beliefs will get tested. Students, when you go off to college, your beliefs will get tested. I went to a conference once in Atlanta, Georgia. It was at Emory University. Juniors and seniors getting ready for school, and this brilliant speaker was about to take the stage. And before he said anything, he showed the opening scene to Saving Private Ryan. And if you're familiar with that movie, it's the storming the beach, and people are dying everywhere. And this clip just goes on and on, and all my students are looking at me like, what's going on here? And he gets up afterward. The clip shuts off, and he goes, this is you guys going to college. Most of you aren't going to make it. (laughs) Every kid in the room was like. But what he was saying was, he was saying, your beliefs are going to get tested. You have to really know what it is you believe in because you're going to hear a bunch of different things. Life will test your buoyancy, won't it? Wave after wave, difficult seasons washing over us relentlessly. Life will test our buoyancy. And, And we can't just have cliches to hang on to. We're good at cliches. We're good at cliches in the Christian community. Everything happens for a reason. God won't give you more than you can handle. Where God guides, he provides. We like the ones that rhyme. We feel like they're more true. Like, okay, God, you made that rhyme, so that must be true. 
But we don't need cliches in those moments. Cliches aren't buoyancy. We need to understand the deep truths of Scripture. You see, this is what James is talking about when he's saying, consider it all joy when you go through these because your faith is going to get tested, but you're going to come out on the other side stronger and firmer and more buoyant with a better foundation. So it's okay that you go through these things, but know what these truths are. Know what it is you truly believe in so that you have something to hang on to. And and deep people have tested the truths of God. They found them to be sustaining. They found them to be truthful. You see, the more that I know about God, the more thoughtful that I am, honestly, the more thankful that I am, and it drives me to be more thoughtful, which drives me to be more thankful. And that's how we want to do that, because this cultivates joy. This helps you to stay afloat. And so the second thing I would say is to cultivate joy, know the gospel and and keep preaching it to ourselves. We need to keep speaking that. We need to keep understanding what the gospel is. Joy is often found in, in the bigger narrative, in the macro, and not so much the micro. And I find out that when I dive into these deeper truths of scripture, it helps me to see the bigger picture, that Jesus is Lord already, that the lamb wins, that he has all authority, that I'm saved by grace and not through my works. These are the foundational things that I want to keep leaning towards in my joy. Jesus says in John 15, 11, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus, I've, I'm telling you some great stuff. And I've told you these things so that you'll have joy. One of the things he just told them is, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. This foundational truth that we can lean on. And we want to be thankful in all circumstances, and we want to be thoughtful, and we want to know these deep truths of Scripture. And lastly, I would say to cultivate joy, we need to continue to ask Holy Spirit to fill us with joy. And I don't know if this is a part of your regular prayer life. It hasn't been a part of mine, to be honest with you, until about the last week as I've been diving into this stuff. And I find myself praying each day, Spirit, fill me with your joy. Fill me with joy. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. Maybe one of the verses in Scripture you have memorized is John eleven thirty five 35, that says Jesus wept. We know that he had sorrow in his life, but Hebrews 12 says, for the sake of the joy set before him, he endured. That he had a joy that overwhelmed these sorrows. I want to have a joy that does just that. Maybe we think of it this way. It's hot outside. I don't know if you noticed. And maybe if you sit in your house in the hot, uncomfortable air, hopefully you have air conditioning. The heat, the hot, the sticky is what what kicks the air on. And this cool, refreshing air slowly but surely overwhelms the heat. And I hope that as we sit in these hot and sticky situations, that the cool, refreshing joy of the Lord begins to overwhelm all of these situations in our lives. Living joyfully creates buoyancy. We have so much to lean in towards, so much to lean towards. And so may we truly say, as Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my buoyancy. Now, typically at this point of the sermon, the script would tell me that I would close in prayer, 
and the worship team would come out and sing a few songs, and then I would come back up and give a benediction and tell you a couple things. But I want to give the benediction now. I want to change things up a little bit. I want to pray a blessing of joy over you. And then as we enter into worship, I want us to have this opportunity to be thoughtful and thankful and to continue to pray, Spirit, fill me with joy. We're going to sing some songs that have tremendous truths in them, great truths of scripture. And we want to lean into those things. I will say this too before we close. If you have yet to experience the joy of the Lord, We'll have people by the cross after the service that would love to pray with you and, and talk about what it means to give your life to Christ. And scripture's so clear that says, you want to make heaven rejoice? You want to make heaven joyful, throw a party? Surrender to Jesus. And so we'll have people there and in your house churches. You could talk to your house church leader about that. We'll have people on this side of the platform praying. You can talk to your house church leader with that. But would you stand with me and just receive the benediction as we enter into a little bit more worship in the service? Jesus, I just want to pray the blessing of joy over this place. Holy Spirit, fill this room. Fill your people with joy. Fill your people with buoyancy. Remind us of our hope. Continue to let us lean towards you. Romans 15 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit at SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.